Well, Kevin, old friend, we are back for our latest episode. We've got our friend Jody Kelly coming on from the Electronic Transactions Association here in a minute. I wanted to talk to you about something you mentioned on another podcast, and Virgie uh, mentioned it in a, in a couple conversations, and it's a very Nashville thing. Um, I've heard you talking about playing your instrument to the ground. Is that the right way to say it? That is the right way to say it. Absolutely. Um, and I hadn't heard that, you know, that exact phrasing until you mentioned it. And you mentioned it in the context um, something we've talked about fairly often, which is at any job in any company, your best people act like they own it. Um, so well, can you talk a minute, you know, when you're talking to your folks at Solero, when you're advising companies where you sit on boards or if you're lucky enough to be like me and get some of that advice for free, what do you, what do you uh, talk about when you talk about playing your instrument to the ground and how that's relative to the larger organization? First of all, the industry is changing at such a rapid pace. It's getting so much more complex. And I think for many years, most businesses were pretty simple in a lot of ways. And as such, you know, just having the work ethic and determination and grit carried people so far. And I still believe fully that that does. And I call that culture. You know, it's a combination of those things, plus um, respect for others, humility, um, empathy, um, some degree of uh, wanting to participate in the community. But if you, if you look outside of that, it's culture plus being able to play your instrument of ground because the complexities have um, accentuated, frankly, IQ, intellect, and ability to be a problem solver. And so when you look at positions within a technology company or a FinTech company, which we have, um, we really rely on people in each of those roles to be able to play their instrument to the ground. And what I mean by that is the, the technical um, expertise that's necessary for us to uh, flourish as an organization is really important. And the ability to have uh, the, the, the problem solving characteristic is really important. And so we look for people, you know, whether it be a developer or a technology role or a product person or a um, SaaS demo person, those folks have got to be really proficient at the skill set uh, that uh, pertains to their role, aka playing their instrument to the ground. And when you can find someone that has that, and then you also get the culture piece, you know that's obviously the perfect team member. Well, let's bring in our guest from the green room, Jody. What an honor it is to have you join our little podcast because we had to. Um, we've been looking forward to having. Jody on for a long time. Um, Jody has, for such a young person, has led such a storied career as a practicing corporate attorney, uh, risk executive at some of the largest uh, financial entities in the country. And then as of late, uh, a very nice career leading trade organizations, including her current tenure leading the premier organization at the intersection of payments and 
Financial Technology, the Electronic Transactions Association. Welcome to the podcast, Jody Kelly. Thank you, Brian. I'm super excited to be here with you. So, Jody, I have uh, enjoyed intersecting with your organization uh, in my work with Solero. Um, thankfully, when Kevin was coming up with the concept of Solero Commerce, he reached out to me and said, hey, you want to do some stuff with this? And um, relatively early on in our work, I got to support him in some advocacy work he did with your organization, uh, specifically a nice trip that uh, y'all did to Washington, bringing in some payments industry professionals. Um, so I, I've just seen I've just seen a lot from your organization, and I know you're every bit as committed to the large uh, organizations that keep your lights on uh, as you are the startups. Um, I think that's been so critical to this industry's growth. How do you balance that work uh, leading an organization like the ETA? Yeah, it's it's a great question um, uh, because we do have that big, broad, diverse membership, as you know. Um, and and I think what I would say is the place that that we start and place that I start is really understanding our industry and understanding our customers and our customers are our members, right? Like who they are. Um, what they need to succeed in their business and what they need today, because the industry is evolving so fast. Um, you know, how we support the industry today is different than what it's going to look like tomorrow. And so, as you said, when you think about who our members are, you know, we have traditional payments companies, we have fintechs, we have like new entrants that are disrupting, we have the largest of the large, and we have the smallest of the startups. And so, when I think about what they need, as your question suggests, it's different, right? For a small startup, you know, they, you know, they look to us to help them, you know, access the industry, access to network, access to business development opportunities. And they need that at discounted prices because, you know, boy, they're operating with a little bit of nothing. And so our job is to ensure we're crafting those opportunities for them. We're structuring things in a way that's accessible to them and delivers value. That's completely different from what a large organization needs from us. You know, they need a broader rate of services. They need advocacy. You mentioned coming up for a fly-in, right? They, they are thinking hard about those policy issues that are going to impact their businesses, and they're looking to us to help. So there, you know, we have to engage, keep our finger on the pulse of what they need, and make sure we're aligned to them in this, you know, environment that's changing every single day. Um, so it's uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of engagement. It's a lot of conversations. It's a lot of making sure we understand just who our customers are and what they need and that we're moving fast to deliver that. So before I want to talk to you for a minute about the public advocacy specifically. But before we get into that, try to address the complexity of your landscape. You, you just brought that up uh, in your explanation. Um, how the industry is so different. And I've talked to Kevin about this on some levels, but you're at a you're at a real dashboard level for this. How is this industry permutating? You know, what types of entities are coming to the ETA in the last maybe five years or even in your couple of year tenure there? 
versus what it might look, might have looked like 10 to 20 years ago? That, that is a great question. And it's, it's, a, it's a question that really gets at how this industry is changing so fast in ways that are so fascinating um, and so important. And, and I will say before I turn to it, I, you know, as, as I was thinking um, uh, about, you know, the, the breadth of our membership, including startups, like in a lot of ways, I think of ETA as a startup for this reason, you know, the industry used to be um, very different than, than it is today. And we'll talk about that. And ETA was very different too, right? We had, and we kind of were a trade show and it was a, a valuable trade show and it served the interest of our members. But as that industry evolved, you know, we're evolving with it too really quickly. And when you think about how we approach this industry, like I said, a lot of ways I think of it as, as a startup, you know, like, you know, what are the, the things that are new that we can address and drive value to, um, you know, and, and that's why you see us growing and our services expanding in a way that's really exciting and fun. And so to get back to your question about the industry, so like how is the industry morphing and changing and, you know, how we morphed along with it? Um, you know, you know, just the, the, at a very basic level, the introduction of these disruptive fintechs, disruptive in a really good way, right, fintechs, that have really shaken up the market and, and caused everyone in the ecosystem to think about how you deliver services to customers uh, in a very different way. You know, it's not, it's not your uh, grandmother's payment system anymore, right? So, you know, the introduction of fintechs, um, the, uh, the convergence, I would say, of software um, and payments, you know, the injection of technology um, and increasing innovation in the technological space um, has changed the industry really dramatically. You know, the as you look forward, think about the introduction of alternative rails, like different ways that payments are already being made and that they're going to be made in the future. It's causing us to think of all of this in a from a completely different perspective. Um, the ways in which payments are getting embedded right, you know, payments is no longer, um, and that, that again circles back a little to the software, but you know, embedded in other um, functions and activities in a way that makes business easier and makes consumers' lives better. Um, and, and just the, the, the convergence of uh, payments and banking and finance in addition. So you think of uh, some of the, the FinTech players in the space who started as payments companies but are quickly evolving to be commerce companies, you know, you know, really providing a broad array of services. Um, so to say it's not stagnant is an understatement, you know, like this ecosystem is exploding um, and, and our membership is exploding with it. And is this, Kevin, let me bring you in on this. I mean, you're, you're at the epicenter of all that with what you're developing as Solero and all the different strategic partners you're working with. Um, in your opinion, do you think the horse is out of the barn? Like once, once this innovation ball gets rolling, it never stops, you know, that you'll never see that relatively static industry where everybody, I'm old enough to have worked in a place where we physically imprinted a credit card on a, on a carbon copy thing. And I called a phone number and got an authorization code to now this internet of things. And Kevin, do you, do you, as a CEO player in this industry, is it your job now to sprint like crazy um, to keep up with all this? 
Yeah, I mean, I look at it maybe slightly differently than that, but I think that the pace of innovation and evolutions set, um, it's going to, if anything, continue to increase. Um, the only thing that could stop it, and we'll get into this topic, as you said later, but the only thing that could stop that pace is, is a poor regulatory environment, which is why we focus so much on advocacy, um, because the United States, in my opinion, we should lead the world in, in technology and, and out and, uh, and sell it all over the world. And, you know, I think that uh, we've, we've got a really dynamic industry here that is um, doing business all over the world and setting the pace for innovation and doing some amazing things that both that help both merchants, consumers um, in terms of, of making their day-to-day -day better. And uh, so I think, you know, I'm a big believer in, in what we're doing and why we're doing it, but certainly pace is crazy. I'll give you an example, Brian. One of the questions that was posed to me recently was, um, who do you consider a competitor? And it's like, you know, <laughs> I consider phone company a competitor. I consider, <laughs> you know, I mean, literally, who don't I consider a competitor? But at the same time, it's like, who do you consider a partner or prospect? I mean, you can literally go through the ETA member list, and I probably consider 90% of them a competitor and the same 90% of partner or prospect. And so I think that happens a ton of the time when the pace of evolution and evolution of, of technology is so rapid is that those lines get really blurred. And so it creates a really complex um, puzzle for, for Jody to, to solve, frankly, because we are so intertwined. I mean, this industry is very intertwined, but I do think ETA has done a phenomenal job of as simple of, of things as board makeup you know, it drives a big, um, it drives a big piece of it because the voices in the room, you know, in those conversations are, I think they've done a very good job of, of spreading that out. And I mean, you know, I was, when I was president of ETA, we were very, we were very small at that point, you know, we've grown a, a lot since then, but, you know, I was a, I was a good um, example of uh, a smaller startup being given a big voice. And I think that that resonates with the other members that are startups, but you know, that intertwined piece, I mean, it's education um, that the ETA provides the startups is really, really beneficial, helping them learn how to handle compliance and regulatory environment, especially for a lot of the new entrants that maybe their companies have been around from the software side, but they're understanding that payments is probably as bigger, bigger of a concern uh, um, or revenue or, uh, focus than, than even the software side, that compliance and regulatory piece is really important. And then networking, you know, just understanding how to connect the dots is something that ETA focuses a ton of time on. And then advocacy is something that, you know, we'll talk about, but it's to me, you know, it was my biggest focus because I felt like it was the biggest differentiator and the biggest value proposition to the average member. And then last but not least, and there are other things too, but that I'll mention is just being an information hub because when you're dealing with kind of the, uh, the merging of, of software and payments, you know, what's really interesting is it's two different perspectives that are coming together and it's two different perspectives that you have to provide an information hub to. And that's complex in itself. And I think um, the ETAs done a really good job of positioning itself and becoming, you know, the core information hub to the FinTech industry worldwide. And um, I think, you know, that's, that's something that as a CEO that I rely on a lot is uh is looking to ETA for guidance and, and specifically around some of that education compliance and, and information. Um, but yeah, so 
complex beyond. Um, but uh, I feel like they're they're answering the call thus far, and I know that they're young uh, in their evolution to what they're trying to accomplish in this new world, as Jody calls it, a startup, which is really great to hear because it's really the mentality that we have to have with an industry that used to be kind of an ISO payments trade show. And now we've got a CEO that came from the software side um, with tons of software experience and, and uh, brings a, brings that technology uh, vision and that technology perspective to the table, which is super healthy. Now a top 10 non-bank payment processor, Solero Commerce is changing the game for community banks and merchants all over the country. Change the way you do business at solerocommerce.com. Well, so you both mentioned the importance of advocacy. So let's focus on that for a minute. Uh, Jody, I, I know just in studying up uh, as much as I can uh, in our marketing partnership with Solero. Um, I use the ETA as a huge resource. And I know um, just from studying up on you and everything you're offering, you do a lot of advocacy work at um, federal and state level. Uh, the state legislatures can be very active and influential in, in depending on how you look at things, some of the right ways and some of the wrong ways. And what Kevin was highlighting is, you know, this spirit and pace of innovation. Currently, there has to be the right amount of regulation in order to be protective of the marketplace uh, to threats, but you can't unnecessarily hamper it as well. So can you talk to us about some of the key areas that y'all are working in partnership, I know y'all created a, a caucus uh, in Congress recently. I'd love it if you'd speak to that. Uh, some of the ways you're working in partnership at legislative levels all over the country. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it it is such important work we're doing. It's work that I'm really, really proud of. Um, and I I have to acknowledge Kevin's leadership here because as, as you can hear from him discussing just now. You know, he really uh, early on recognized the importance of this. And I know it was a big champion of ETA expanding its its advocacy um, work, which which we have done and continue to do um, as we move forward, because it just it gets more important, not less important, important. And that's going to continue, um, you know, as this space becomes, um, you know, as we've talked about, really a tech space. Um, and as you look at the way that policymakers uh, have um, concerns about technology. I mean, it was in the news this morning. You know, there was reporting on what the president's doing vis-a-vis -vis large technology companies. It's going to get increasingly important that we are out there explaining what our industry does. And, and as we talk about, it's changing every day, right? So, you know, if we are working to keep up, you can imagine for policymakers trying to understand, you know, just like what is it that you do and how do you do it? Um, so, you know, it's a huge job for us just to be educating on like what we do, how we're protecting consumers, how we're driving financial services to the underserved, you know, how we are, in fact, doing great work that is um, good for the economy, uh, good for the country and good for consumers. Um, and, you know, as you said, we do that all different ways, including through engaging directly with Congress, including through like the FinTech Caucus that we were instrumental in setting up. 
um, including and in sitting on advisory boards, you know, including being out there in the states, just like you know, um, engaging deeply all the time, um, you know, and and just looking for every opportunity to get the message out for our industry. Um, the good news is we have a great story to tell. I mean, you know, this is this is an industry that is doing really great things in a very safe and secure way, really focused hard on, on um, not only delivering services that are valuable, but services that are delivered in a way that's secure. Um, so we have a great story, um, but you got to tell it and you got to you got to repeat it um, and you got to make sure you're getting to the people that need to hear it. So what are the two or three hottest issues you're pursuing right now uh, as opposed to the more general environment for regulation and security. What are y'all really pursuing as kind of top level issues? Yeah, I'll, I'll touch on a few. So, so one of them uh, is an issue that, uh, that, that uh, it sounds a little esoteric, but it's, it's uh, central bank digital currencies or CBDCs, if you're like moving fast and uh, sounds like it could be the most sexy thing we've ever discussed here. I tell you, <laughs> I tell you, you know. <laughs> um, but it's it's a really important topic. It's getting a lot of um, there's a lot of ongoing conversation about it um, uh, with Congress, with the Federal Reserve. Um, you know, it's at its at its core. What it is is. Uh, digital dollars. So it's having, you know, the question is, should the U.S. issue currency and the way we issue paper currency and coins now um, digitally? And, you know, at some level you think, well, sure, you know, why, why wouldn't you do that? But it, it turns out that like, depending on how you structure it, it can really impact in a really fundamental way, the way the existing system works. Right? How would you distribute it? Over what rails? What would the privacy protections be? What kind of security layer would you need? How would the private, the current private ecosystem, you know, operate, you know, interoperate with that? There are all these really important questions um, that policymakers need to think through as they're considering this. And you know, we have for a year now um, been in there having these conversations because, again, it, you know, if it's something the Fed decides to do, depending on how it structures it, there are going to be market participants, um, you know, that are affected in a, an incredibly fundamental way. So it's it's an example of something that sounds a little, you know. Um, less than sexy but is critically important and that you know we are spending you know just you know many many cycles um, working because of its importance what else yeah um and then there are other issues you know that are um that we continue to work privacy for example you know, privacy has been an important issue for us you know our our industry as you know you know uses um personally identifiable information among other things to fight fraud um, the states have become very active in the in the privacy uh, debate with states beginning to pass legislation, you know, obviously uh, a federal bill would be preferable to, you know, individual state bills, but as state legislatures move, we are engaging with them to make sure that our industry can continue to do the work that it needs to do. Um, uh, and so that's another issue that's top of mind for us that will that will continue working. And I will say at the state level, you know, it is impossible to come up with one because state legislatures are so busy. You know, as you said, they can really move markets with what they do. They tend to move very quickly. 
And in the environment of COVID, every state is looking for revenue. And so this was an incredibly busy legislative session for us at the state level. Most of the states are wrapping up right now. Um, but towards the end there, we were working over 300 bills in state legislatures. It's just, it was a crazy, crazy year, you know, dealing with, you know, all kinds of tax issues and collection issues and it just, you know, kind of across uh, 1099 issues across the board. Um, but, you know, that, that actually will affect our industry as, as we all try to go about doing business. Well, so let's, let's talk, let's get you to change gears from your public advocacy to publicly cheering your, your industry. I think I'm going to give away my little thesis. I think the companies in your industry have been, if not the main catalyst, one of the top two or three in terms of small and mid-sized business survival during the pandemic and helping them in ways that position them even better for greater growth, greater success, having everything they want as a business post-pandemic. Um, what do you see? You know, what are you most proud of as an executive representing this amazing industry? It's a really good question. And it's, I love the question because it it highlights why I love being part of this industry. You know, this this is there is no better industry uh, to be part of and to be supporting. Um, and so when you think about the pandemic in particular and how you know the industry pivoted to support both uh, you know businesses large and small, but particularly small businesses and then consumers, you know you start at the beginning. You know think about distribution of stimulus, um, where at ETA, you know, we worked with Treasury to, to find alternative ways to distribute stimulus, um, you know, other than paper checks, because, you know, there are lots of really efficient ways to distribute money that do not involve paper checks, which are not an efficient mechanism. Um, so, you know, really kind of, you know, worked uh, to get that happening, worked to expand the group of players who could distribute PPP loans to include fintechs who have lots of experience underwriting right um, quickly um, and digitally um, so that people could get really needed money in their hands more quickly. Um, and then as you say, you know, think of all that our industry did to help merchants pivot. You know, all these small companies who are brick and mortar companies and who never intended to be anything other than a brick and mortar company suddenly couldn't survive that way. Um, and so whether it was you know, helping them enable contactless payments. So when people ventured out, they were comfortable paying um, to helping them establish e-commerce presences that they never thought they would have. Um, helping them introduce innovation like um, uh, buy online pickup at the curb, right? So that people would continue to shop. Um, you know, all of those kinds of things, you know, introducing uh, the use of QR codes, particularly in restaurants, which helped restaurants reopen so that people could scan the menu and you know, pay again without touching anything. And then staying laser focused on security because when you, it's a, a sad truth that any kind of crisis also brings people with it who are ready to take advantage of it. And, you know, the industry knew that was coming, kind of prepared for the increased security need and like helped, help, um, helped, help, helped address that problem. So, just like a myriad ways, you know, that the industry jumped in and helped consumers and businesses kind of get through this. And to your point, position them to like thrive on, on you know, as we now come out of it. 
because um, businesses now that they are engaging with consumers online, they're not going to go back, right? This is an additional channel for them. And now that consumers have um, taken advantage of things like daily pay solutions and e-cash, you know, that, that help them get money quicker, employers are embracing this. It makes for a happier workforce and it gets money into, into people's hands more quickly. You know, so Kevin talked earlier about the pace of change and how he didn't see it slowing down. And like, I, I couldn't agree more when, when you look at what the industry did during the pandemic, these are all things that people responded to positively and it's just gonna keep going, you know, that people are gonna embrace it and then demand the next thing. Um, and, uh, and the industry is gonna meet that. Kevin, I, I know, you know, it was, it was a tough time last year for everybody. Um, those first couple months, especially, uh, you and I lived through that together. And um, I saw you and the Solero team kind of grab this thing by the scruff of the neck and, and figure out, okay, well, when the chips are down, you still have to focus on your customer. It's not, you know, there's one, one phase where you and Jeff Brown and Jim and Scott were all dreaming about what you wanted to be and talking to your customers about aspirations. And then it goes to, okay, our customers just want to stay out of the damn gutter. Um, how are we going to pull them out of there? And what are you seeing? I know you look at industry data all the time, whether it's all the boutique shops, the salons, uh, the restaurants, even small medical practices. A lot of people were afraid to go to the doctor for so long and put off going to the dentist. What are, what are you seeing in terms of the data, in terms of the rebound that proves what we're talking about here? Yeah, I think the rebound was probably a little quicker than we anticipated, but probably lacked the umph that thus far that we also anticipated. So I think, you know, to Joey's point, I'm really proud of the whole industry, the fintech side for the role that they played during that, because I will say one of the most unfortunate things that occurred as you and I talked about as we went was <clears throat> just businesses going out of business. And, you know, it can't be underestimated the number that that did occur to. And that's, that's really sad and, and it's unfortunate. And I will say that a lot more would have done so had it not been for a lot of the organizations in our industry. I think that, that the organization stepped up in a very good way. So I'm certainly proud of what Solero did, but, you know, I saw it from a lot of others as well. I mean, I'll give you an example, like at Solero, you know, we had over 85 webinars, 2,500 live calls to, to merchants in the most um, hard hit segments. Um, we had weekly communication and email. We created a COVID-19 website uh, with all the resources there. And we had people out on the street just seeing if there's any weird little innovative thing small businesses were doing that we could communicate across to our greater portfolio. And then we also partnered with our community banks to you know, get PPP loans out. Um, and I think the combination of really, I will say community banks and um, and, and fintechs did a remarkable job of, of doing what they could to help businesses survive. You know, even Corey, who was on from Wompley uh, with us, he, he did a phenomenal job. You know, he got a ton of PPP loans out directly from his organization. So that's all, you know, something that's now in the past, but something that I feel really good about. And as we entered that phase, I knew that I even told all, the, all of my leaders and my team, I'm like, hey, 
this will be a way we'll judge ourselves. Not that we'll be judged by our board or, or others, but you know, this is a time that we have a mission statement and this is a time to live the mission statement. So if our mission statement is to help small to mid-sized businesses thrive, then we're not going to hit our budget this year. <laughs> so let's help small and mid-sized businesses thrive. And I think a lot of people did that. Um, but yeah, I think that look, volume and small businesses are, are in the act of recovering the ones that didn't go out of business. And trust me, plenty did. But that being said, you know, a lot did survive. A lot are starting to thrive. A lot have found, you know, their footing and, and things are certainly opening back up. And I think it's a time to be very optimistic about not only where we are, but where we're going over the next couple of years. I think these businesses that survived have grit, you know, and they're, um, they're resilient and they've probably learned things that, you know, the ones that didn't kill, it did make stronger. I'm still not happy it happened because it did kill a, a large percentage of them. But, you know, like anytime you go through something like that, you tighten up um, anywhere you can. And it probably creates good disciplines that I think we'll see a resurgence in small and mid-sized businesses in the U.S. And I think that's something to be really excited about. Well, so let's talk about, um, Jody, the, uh, as we wrap up here, some of the biggest opportunities and threats that your organization sees on the horizon for payments and fintech companies and their customers. I know that everything you do is driven by what you think is going to ultimately connect with those end users, if for the B2B and B2C players in your organization. And then as you think about those opportunities and threats, what role will you have? at the ETA and helping mitigate threats and seize the opportunities? Yeah, so it's uh, it's a great question. It's a really fun question because when you think about the opportunities going forward, um, I, there is just no more exciting and no more important industry than ours right now. I mean, our industry, you know, literally powers commerce. We, you know, we are driving commerce. And as Kevin says, as we emerge from this pandemic, you know, as businesses, um, uh, you know, start to get their feet underneath them and move forward, you know, it, it is our industry that is that is powering that and allowing that to happen. And that combination of technology that we've been talking about through, you know, throughout our conversation, um, and and the the demand for, uh, you know, better experiences, quicker experiences, is just going to keep that innovation cycle going. Um, and I love it. Like, I love that we're making the lives of people better. I love it that we are empowering small businesses. You know, I, I love it that when we say we're driving commerce, it's very real. Um, and, and, you know, and for me, it's really real too. When I, when I first started um, in this role and thought about like examples, um, you know, I thought about very personal examples. So, you know, I, I think about like the apps that I use to call a ride service or to order my salad um, and the fact that payments are embedded in those and, the, and it is that that makes that experience really positive, right? All I need is my phone. I take care of the entire transaction I need to take care of like very quickly, simply and securely. I don't worry about it. I'm not worried about what's happening, you know, with my payment. Um, I know it's, I know it's going to go through and I know it's going to be safe. And as I think about like the next iteration of those kinds of innovations, I think about, you know, like, like my car, which will tell me when I'm running low on gas, which is all too often when I'm driving, um, and will we'll ask me if I want like it to show me the map so I can figure out where to get gas. Like 
the next version of that is not only gonna like help me get to the gas station, but I will pay for that gas through my car. I won't even need my phone and I certainly won't need to find my purse and dig for my wallet and realize I forgot, you know, my card somewhere. So, um, you know, think about um, unattended retail, I mean, like all the innovations happening, that just makes consumers lives easier and smoother. Um, and that gives opportunities then to merchants, right? Because if they're delivering an experience consumers like, um, you know, then they're going to come back. And on the business side, you know, not only are we enabling them to um, uh, to give their customers better experiences, that integration, that bundling that Kevin talked about, you know, that convergence of software and payments is enabling businesses to run more efficiently, right? To embed payments in their inventory management system or their scheduling system, or um, you know, in, you know, integrating paying their employees with their um, you know, whether the system that schedules their employees' uh, shifts. And, you know, all of this is driving efficiencies and better experiences. Um, and it's our industry that's enabling all of that. So the opportunities are just amazing. Like, and, and it, you know, the speed with which it's happening is incredible. And as we talked about, it's going to continue. Um, but I think Kevin was exactly right when he said, you know, the threat to that, the thing that could slow that down, would be a regulatory environment that stifles innovation. Um, and, it, and as Kevin said, regulation is important. Consumer protection is important. You know, uh, I think as you know, a mature industry, yeah, it's important that we do, and we do like embrace like that appropriate regulatory framework. We think that is important and positive. But when technology is moving quickly, there's a real risk that the regulatory response. Um, is not appropriate for that innovative environment. And, and it's not, that's not a theoretical risk. We're seeing a lot of proposals, including a number that we talked about in the states, um, that, that, are, that really come from a place of just not being aligned to the, to the business and the technology that exists. Um, so I think that is the, the, the opportunities are massive. I think that is the single biggest threat. Um, and it's why. Kevin was so focused on advocacy when he was board president. And, you know, I'm obviously so focused on the advocacy work as well. Well, it's smart too. I mean, yeah. you know, with the people who are tasked with running society at state and federal level, um, the significant technology, you know, my colleagues in my company understand a lot of technology better than I do because they're half my age and they've grown up with it. Um, and on the same token, we have people at the highest levels of government in their 70s and 80s who still don't fully understand email or, or Facebook and social media. And this stuff is a million times more complex. And so they're reliant upon people educating them on these complexities so that even their well-intentioned uh, ideas don't get in the way that they do what they need to do, but don't hamper that innovation. Well, I think that's a wrap, Kevin and Jody. Thank you so much, Jody Kelly, for joining us on Because We Had To. This is clearly the most educated I've felt leaving a conversation like this. And I knew it would be a great ride uh, having you along with us. Kevin, my beloved co-host and friend, Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share this time with you once again and to meet 
yet again, somebody who's very special to you. And to those of you listening out there, thanks for tuning in to Because We Had To. I promise we'll have some more episodes coming soon with entrepreneurs, executives, creators, and other folks that make life special for all of us. Uh, Till we talk again, be well. Because We Had To is proudly presented by Solero Commerce on the Perk Life Podcast Network. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or SoundCloud so you don't miss a new episode.